Today we're sharing another preventable disaster story and what you can learn from it. These home buyers could have saved themselves five years of stress and ultimately losing their home. If only they'd done one very simple thing. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode and if you'd like more useful tools head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au there you'll find free checklists so you can download a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39 priceless stuff really bargain but before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode here's the boring bit the disclaimer you of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about an avoidable home buying disaster that was recently in the news. A Gold Coast couple ended up losing their home after a five-year battle when the court ended up ruling that they never should have been able to buy the property in the first place. How could this have been prevented? How did it Before happen, we get in- Veronica? Oh, oh we're going to get into it. it. And, it, you know, it's a really easy mistake. Heartbreaking. Actually, terribly easy mistake. So this is, this is a tale to... A tale of woe that we can all learn from. But before we get into that, what is your special house or special building this week? Oh, it looks the like the Gold Coast, Coast is yeah, it? Yeah, we're heading down to the Gold Coast for, for this episode. So I just thought that I'd fill everybody with the joys of that beautiful, long, sandy beach and very unique buildings. Mm, some of which are really hideous and <laughs> some of which are not. But I, I always think it's so sad to have all those buildings lining a beach. But anyway, that's me. And my southern sensibility, but those buildings look like there's this new trend in sort of sky rise design is having the like the skeleton on the outside, yeah, and they look like they have that. It's a bit funky, it makes it a bit interesting looking, and the and the variation in color I think is really quite interesting depending on which way it's facing and what it's reflecting. So opalescent. Now this is a terribly sad story, terribly sad about a couple in how they inadvertently found themselves embroiled in a broad case when they bought their family home. Yes. Now, these sorts of stories make the news because they're sensational, let's face it, and terrible. Um, and we share them with you and seek to break down what has happened so that you can get an insight into how easy it is to make these avoidable mistakes. And worst case scenario, they can be catastrophic. Most of us, you know, we make these mistakes and they don't ruin us or they don't really have a huge impact, but the potential for a huge impact is always there. And yet, All of these are so avoidable. So let's run through what happened. Yeah. And as usual, we have the link to the story in the show notes so you can read the full story yourself. Now, the couple 
they bought the house at auction in 2018. So we're going back five years, as we said. It's been a long battle for these these lovely people. They moved to the Gold Coast from Victoria, so having a sea change, and could have made the assumption that buying in Queensland is the same as buying in Victoria, which we know is not the case. Now, we bang about this, on about this all the time, particularly in Queensland, how... And this is why so many of these stories actually come from Queensland, <laughs> I think, because buyers have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, there's less protection for buyers. The legislation provides for less protection for buyers in Queensland, and therefore there is more onus on the buyer to do their due diligence. And if you don't know what you don't know, which is often the case, then you wouldn't even know where to start. And I think that's probably at the root of this um, problem of who to ask. Yeah. Let's run through it. So they moved uh, from the Gold Coast from Victor- to the Gold Coast from Victoria, as Megan said. Um, and so, as we've said too, the buying circumstance, how you go about buying a property in Queensland is very, very different to how you go about buying it in Victoria. And a lot of people do just think it's the same everywhere. That's not a common misconception. It, you know, it's, it is... People think actually, it well, is a bought, common misconception. It's a common misconception. It's not an uncommon misconception. <laughs> it's really common. Yeah. It's a, and, and not to make light of this, but um, it, it is it is really common that people think just because they bought property in another state that it is going to be a similar process or they have the experience to replicate that in a different um, jurisdiction. And it's just so, so important that you understand that every state is different in so many regards and no two states are the same. So you can't even say, well, you know, the process is fairly similar between Queensland and Victoria. Um, so it has to be pretty reasonably new, and it's not. It just really isn't, and in every regard. Absolutely. So it, this particular case was a mortgagee sale. So what that means is that a person who owned the property had not been paying their mortgage and then it gets to a certain point where the mortgagee takes possession and puts the property on the market for sale, right? But what, and I think the it seems to be that the buyers knew that, but what they didn't know Obviously, was It's the, often heavily advertised, actually. It, it is a marketing tactic that agents use because it implies a high sense of urgency to achieve a sale outcome. And for some buyers, that sounds like it could end up being a bargain. So absolutely. it is often a, a highly advertised component of the sales process. Yes, and in fact, and this comes down to knowing what you don't know, the minute a mortgagee in charge or, you know, or in possession, you think, okay, there might be a few little extra things you might need to look into, but obviously- I'd say red flags first. Yeah, so we well, let's get into that. So, because what these buyers didn't know was that the owner of the home, who was an elderly lady, had claimed that somebody else had forged her signature on some mortgage documents using the house, her house, as security. And so if someone's going to do that and then they don't pay the mortgage, then, of course, that's why the one of the mortgagees, and there were a number of them, ended up taking possession. But there were clues that these buyers could have picked up if only they had known where to look. Yeah. Now, now the, the lady owner had put a caveat on the title which would have made settlement difficult. Now, essentially, that's that's something that is um, placed over to prevent the sale without the, the person who's placed the caveat being alerted to the sale. And unless it's removed, then generally that, that probably can't be settled. Now, we've had many instances where there's been caveats on titles 
but the right process to go through is to ensure that as part of that settlement, a caveat is re- removed. So perhaps the, the mortgagee is paid out as part of the caveat gets removed. So there, there are, it, it's not a be all and end all. If there's a caveat on a title, you just need to understand what it is and how it is going to be removed, how it might affect the settlement of the sale and the solicitor who is representing you is the one who will help you through that process. But in Queensland, if you go to an auction and you haven't engaged a solicitor to do searches on your behalf before that, there's no way you would know that. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that. Yeah, the process, right. So so during the settlement period, this was removed because the mortgagees paid her $40,000 as an incentive to remove the caveat. Yes, apparently, um, in sort of, if you read the articles, we said we've, uh, Megan said we've included the links in the show notes, that, you know, the elderly lady had been under some pressure from those mortgagees and also from their solicitors. So they really put a lot of pressure on her to remove the caveat and they compensated her $40,000 to do so. And what that meant was that the property could settle and they'll get their money. But then what happened next was that after settlement, she made a complaint to the Registrar of Titles, which is the Queensland Government Office, and they placed a second caveat on it, right, which meant that the title was never transferred to the new buyers, even though they had paid in full for the property by then. So, oh, God. Now, it took this old lady nearly five years to win a court battle to get back her home. So she's also had the inconvenience of this after being defrauded in the first place. Um, After five years, the court ruled that she had been, in fact, a victim of fraud. And so therefore that property never should have been offered for sale. And obviously the hapless buyers should never have been able to buy it. And they've lived with that stress for nearly five years. Yeah. And and interestingly, so... You know, this despite sort of went on on and on and on and everybody continued to be affected. Um, the buyers filed a case against the Queensland government and they also were ruled to have been victims of the same fraud. So remember the fraud goes back to somebody forging the owner's signature to take out a mortgage on a property that they did not own and they used the property as security for that mortgage. So somebody else has got the bank to give them money and use this property as security. So that's where the fraud apparently sits. And they didn't just do it once. It appears that they did it seven times. So there were seven mortgagees. Seven. And so get to how this all could have been avoided in a minute. But just to wrap up where the buyers are at this current point of time, from our understanding is that they, has, they have been awarded $2.7 million worth of compensation, but that is meant to be in reflection of what the house is worth now. So they still lost their home, still had legal bills. Now they've got legal bills as well. Um, they've Five years of stress. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, now they're faced with having to find a new home in a market with low stock and where prices are starting to rise. Plus, the government could still appeal the ruling. Mm, that's a lot of stress. It's stressful enough buying a home without putting complications as significant as this and, and still to end up without a home at the end. Yeah. So, Veronica, how could they have avoided this? 
Well, they could have avoided it by getting a local buyer's agent specialist potentially. You know, if they're moving into state, let's just let's let's you know. <laughs> Um, but having said that, you've got to find a buyer's agent who will do the due diligence because this is the problem. Buyer's agents, unless they are appropriately experienced, often know little more than you. I've spoken to new buyer's agents who don't know what we know and what we teach you in your first home buyer guide. Anyone who's done our course will know more than some of these buyer's agents and actually would not, this should not happen to anybody who's done our course, let me tell you. But, you know, it's, but to hire someone and you don't look after the Gold Coast, but if you did, to hire someone like so Megan, who would have said, right, you're coming from Victoria. The rules are different up here. These are the things that we need to get checked before you go ahead and buy this property. In fact, we go a step further. We say you might have bought five or six properties in Victoria, but everything you know I want you to just throw out. I want you to stop thinking that you know anything about buying property because what we'll do is we'll educate you in the process of buying property in Queensland. And that way you're filled with the right knowledge, not some previous biases or any kind of understanding that you thought you had about how things work because it's different. And if someone went from Queensland to Victoria, I'd be suggesting exactly the same thing. Forget everything you think you know and open up to an expert who can actually guide you through the process and educate you about what happens from a property law perspective and from, um, you know, just from a local knowledge point of view. So even if you're moving from a city to a regional area, you know, not all regional areas have buyers agents, but even within the same state, there can be differences. The legislation is the same, but the practice can be different. Oh, so true. Even the way agents um, advertise, market and sell properties, the method of sale can can differ vastly between one agency and another and agents within agencies. So yeah, so certainly that um that that knowledge is invaluable, but you know, not everyone chooses a buyer's agent. The other the the other opportunities to uncover this is in Queensland on the contract, um, any uh encumbrances need to be noted. Now when the agent prepares the contract and the agent the agent is the one that prepares the contract in Queensland, they buy a title search um uh, through uh, whatever services um, they've subscribed to. And that title search will reveal only what is on that title at that minute. So it, it it's not updated. It's not a real-time sort of thing. So if the caveat was placed after the agent did the title search, and usually agents do the title search right at the point they list the property, not at the point of, of sale, um, that's the solicitor's job to, to do that. So there might be a title search that shows that it's clear of any encumbrances or caveats, but that can change the next day or, or immediately after that title search has been done. So it is something that a good solicitor will do a couple of times through the process of the conveyance just to double check that nothing's changed, particularly the red flag here, particularly when a mortgagee is in possession. So the classic here, right, is that what normally happens, you you think that there could be no, you know, when I say normally, what is more a common thing is that there's no caveat and then a caveat is applied before, yeah, the last minute before the auction, for instance. If someone's going to suddenly go, oh, my God, I don't want this sold or whatever, they, they'll put it on then. So then the agent may not know about it when they list it. But in this particular case, it was a caveat before and then it was removed. But we don't know exactly when that caveat was applied, like uh, Mika was saying. So if for whatever reason the elderly lady found out the property was on the market 
and then applied the caveat, then the agent would be none the wiser and the agent would be not providing that information to buyers. So we don't know the exact time frame here, but there's a very good chance that that information was not provided to the buyers because it sounds like it was all news to them. But also, you know, just prior to the auction, if the solicitor, as you're saying, hasn't actually then got another copy. And you'd have to instruct the solicitor to do that. So in the general conveyance process, often a, a conveyancer won't do another title search until they receive the signed copy of the contract. So if it's an auction, it's a done deal. And too late. It's too late. Um, so unless it's been misrepresented and it could be found to have been part of the title, incorrect title was given, you know, there, there'd be a whole lot of process. Obviously, that wasn't the case here because that wasn't um, what was found through the judicial process. But, you know, pe plenty of people in Queensland don't understand that. No, I mean, so, so this is the thing, you know, we're talking about somebody from Victoria who might be used to a different area going to Queensland and have no idea. Queenslanders often have no idea about this either. Generally, people buying property got no idea, which is why we have a course to teach you the stuff that most buyers would have no idea about. Yeah, and even the right questions to ask the conveyancer, to ask the lawyer, to, to say, um, look, this is advertised as a mortgagee in possession. Does that does that raise any red flags for you? Well, yeah, it will. It absolutely will. But the, the solicitor is not going to look at the ad. They're not going to see that advertising unless you alert them to the situation. Uh, and, and that's you know, really key because it will raise in their minds, okay, I need to keep a really tight, uh, a really close eye on this. I need to be doing a little bit more because this is not just a straight out sale with a single mortgagee, you know, which is a bank. You know, if a bank just has a loan, then it's paid out as part of the settlement. And so here's the thing. Um, when you're using a conveyancer or a solicitor, they're not, like buyers agents, they're not all equal, right? And a lot of people will do the job of conveyancing, a lot of solicitors will do the job of conveyancing, but they may not be property specialists. Now, we in our business, and I'm sure you're the same, Megan, in your business, the buyer's agency business, you'll deal with solicitors and conveyancers who will be on the front foot with all this sort of stuff because they know what can go wrong because they do this day in, day out, and they're a cut above, right? But there'll be others out there, and a lot of buyers would think that they're using a good person. They just think all solicitors know how to do this, surely. But there can be little, you know, ways you can get tripped up in the purchasing process. And which is why step one in the, the PACE system that we teach in the course is how to get the right people on your support crew. Because they might have had a solicitor or a conveyancer, but they might have had someone who, like Megan saying, didn't check the ad or didn't think to ask these questions or sitting there waiting for instruction. And then the client doesn't know to instruct them because they don't know what they need to be looking for. But there's also, so we could argue that the caveat was there or wasn't there, you know, when that information was sent to their solicitor or conveyancer, maybe they didn't even go to one before they bought an auction. That does happen. And Crazy that is but possible. True. That is possible because the contract is prepared by the agent. The agent uh, gives it to the buyer. If the buyer doesn't elect to seek, the, uh, to seek counsel from a solicitor or conveyancer, they could actually go through that entire process through to an unconditional purchase without any advice or import from an independent party at all. And remembering, of course, that the agent works for the seller. So their job in this case was to work for the mortgagee who was in possession. Mor yeah, mortgagees who were in possession. Mortgagee? What? I don't know how many actually. Oh, God, there was seven. There was a um, anyway, <laughs> they're working for the people who have instructed them to sell the property, who they have a valid agency agreement with. 
So they're not, whilst I can't misrepresent the property, it's actually not their job to tell you what might go wrong, what the risks are and and the sorts of things that you should do. Now, a good agent will say, you know, speak to a solicitor, get independent advice, that that's a that's you know, that's good to protect yourself, but it's actually up to you to do that and to know what things to raise, even in just general conversation with a solicitor. As soon as you say mortgagee in possession, that triggers a number of things that a good solicitor is going to say, all right, well, we need to do this, this and this and and make sure this is right. And and they may even give you questions to go back to the agent to seek clarification from the owner on. So if they've done the one simple thing, they got a copy of the title search um, when they first started looking at the property and then another copy before they went to auction, they potentially could have seen that caveat had been removed. It was there and then it and vanished. And then you say, okay, what? What's that all about? Just checking. Like, unfortunately, when a caveat's removed, most buyers will think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But once, yeah. a, once again, because it's a because it's a mortgage in possession, it's like, hang on a minute, let me just check this. The other How thing that, that I think, out? regardless of all that, is the seven mortgages. That to me is a huge red flag, right? But that's not an encumbrance, is it? So that's not the sort of thing. And most properties have got it. What well, not most? But a lot of properties have got a mortgage on them, right? Yeah, it's listed as as an encumbrance, but um, under the under property law in Queensland, it, it is assumed and and automatically paid out on settlement of the property. So when the solicitors do the settlement um, figures, then the allocation of the money to the mortgagee goes out that way, and the balance goes to to the um, seller of the property. So it, it is it is an encumbrance on the property, but it, it's you know what puzzles me about this. And and red flags are just going on. It just puzzles me how there were seven. Well, because Using obviously- one property as security. Well, you could do that if, and I've seen some title searches with a lot of mortgages, in, a lot of mortgages on there, right? Uh, when people are in financial difficulty and they had a lot of equity in that property and they just keep borrowing, they might borrow 100,000, might borrow 200,000, might borrow 150,000, all those little mortgages- um, or different mortgagees, and they're all mortgagees of last resort or whatever they call them. So there's, there's re- lenders of last resort. So it's just the fact that there were seven should have been a huge red flag. I'd be going, but hang on a minute. Each one has to agree to uh, – each, each mortgagee has to agree to the subsequent one. So you can't just mortgage a property where uh, it's held as security. But if they're small mortgages in terms of percentage – that's that's how that can happen. That's interesting. Ooh, I've seen it. So 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 this is the thing. I you know, and this is what I wonder about. I wonder, did they engage? So there you go. Conveyance? See, I just learned something. Everybody, twenty two years in the industry, and I've just learned something. There you go. So I go. Whoa, hang on a minute. That's a weird thing. And this is why you need experienced people on your crew. You know, because Megan and I, we learned from. I think last time we recorded a podcast, or a few weeks ago, anyway. I remember I learned something too. We, we are still learning stuff, right? And we're imparting this knowledge to you so that you will avoid these very avoidable mistakes. This was an avoidable mistake. There are so many opportunities. We can just see if they'd done that, they, would, they wouldn't have gone down that path. If only they'd done that, they wouldn't have gone down this path. And another thing too, and I wonder about the settlement because, you know, the, if they paid cash, 
you know, the bank's like another stopgap, if you like, another opportunity to to red flag it. Go, hang on, we're not getting copies of the title, so the title documents or title deeds or whatever. If the bank's not getting what they what the, what they need for security against that mortgage, they're going to stop settlement. You know, so I wonder if they paid cash, because if that's the case, and this is, I mean, we none of us like going into debt, but I will tell you what, sometimes when the bank's protecting their own ass, you know. They're protecting their own investment. Yeah, they'll see red flags um, that the buyers may not have, you know, may not have noticed. So there's yeah, a possibility so that's settled. That so it's it's not even like um, you know people who don't know what they don't know um, can bid and can be found to be bidding at an auction where they haven't sought pre-approval for finance, and and they just go, oh, we should be right. We'll go to the bank if we get it. By no means are we advocating that kind of behaviour. But if if that was the approach that had been taken there, then the bank would pick it up and it probably wouldn't have settled. So I think you're right, Veronica. It's a high high probability they did pay cash because otherwise, if a, if a caveat was put back on, it wouldn't have been able to settle. So well, there was a caveat lifted for settlement, and then it was whacked. But another one was whacked on just after before titles had swapped. So it's it's. Pretty it's terrible awful. for all all involved, for everybody, you know, for the elderly lady who now apparently has Alzheimer's anyway. So she's, um, I think her daughter is is um, is looking after her affairs. So it's just a, a, a terrible situation. So somehow, you know, some crooks basically have, have got into, you know, got their claws into her asset. Um, they haven't paid. Then it's come on the market. These people have bought it in good faith making a hell of a lot of assumptions that are really dangerous to make but understandable. And so we have enormous sympathy for them and the stress that this would have brought. Um, and, look, I think it really is, like all of these stories we bring to you, they're made worse because they are avoidable without too much trouble, really. They're, they're quite easy to avoid when you know what to look for. But, but Veronica, I think the point is buying a property is not easy and that's what we want people to stop and think about. It is not easy. It's not straightforward. It's not necessarily logical even. There there are steps that need to be taken in the right order, but unless you know what the steps are, you get it so drastically wrong. And unfortunately, I think that's what's happened for these people is they've they've not known what steps to take in what order so as to protect themselves but also ensure that you know they they were put in the best position, not only to be the purchasers of the property because obviously they won the auction, they were the successful bidder at the auction, um, but the other steps that sat around that. If it, it's not easy to get to an outcome that is trouble free, it takes work and it takes a a, a lot of um, uh, people to be involved in that to get that to the the end. It's it's not a this is not a solo mission. This is this is a team sport, and you've got to have the right team around you. Um, and unfortunately, I think that there were lots of gaps in. It sounds like there were lots of gaps in this process that allowed them to get to a point where um, you know the red flags really should have stopped it, or at least put on hold anything that, that could have led to them settling and paying for a property that they didn't actually own. And I think, you know, yes, these are extreme cases and, and there's not, you know, most people won't experience anything so horrific. But, you know, the fact that we can find so many of these cases to bring to you on these podcasts shows that it happens often enough. 
And it's the worst case scenario, really, um, something as drastic as this happening, but it's very possible. And so that's what we want to really help you avoid, protect yourself from being in the position where you could easily make such a mistake. And that's why we have put together a whole course for you. And the whole scheme of things, the course costs, as we go to record, $990, right? So let's round up to a thousand bucks, right? In the whole scheme of things, based on what you're spending on a property, you can make that back in no time flat, just if you need to negotiate better. So that's one of the things that we teach in there. You will make that back and more if you just negotiate better. I but tell you, you will what, make that, that, you know what, you make it back? Not moving making forward. Making this mistake. No, no, not moving forward on two properties where you tr- where you have to pay for a building, pe- building pest inspection, about 450 bucks. You move forward in a property that's way outside your price range or has glaringly obvious issues that you shouldn't even bother making an offer on. You've just saved that money. So one thing also that we've just recently um, restarted when we ran the beta, the beta course back in 2020 now, a long time Our ago. Our first students and many of whom still keep in touch. They do. And we love hearing from you. Um, we ran a weekly live Q&A with those students every Saturday afternoon. Now, we're not in lockdowns anymore. And so therefore people are out and about on Saturdays. Uh, we're running a, li- a weekly live Q&A now in Wednesday lunchtimes. And we're doing that because when you're out and about, say you go and you look at this property and we're like, right, there's a due diligence um, part of the course. We want to make sure that you're covering everything off so that you're not uh, you're not exposed there. You know, if you ask Don't us jump in feet first. No, this, this was on the title search. What do you think it means? Ah, definitely go and get that checked with, uh, uh, uh. you know, those sorts of things we can actually help you throughout the whole process. If you're buying a property, head, head off at the pass. So this is part of the, part of the, um, the membership now or the program. And so we just encourage you, if you're sitting on the fence thinking, oh, do I really, do I really need to buy that? Do I really need that extra money? This is the sort of thing we can save you from. And this is a small investment. It's an insurance policy, really, to make sure that you don't make an avoidable mistake. Absolutely. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.